Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Warlines Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host today, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I am having a lovely evening, Bill. I am, too. I'm, I, I hung out with a very tiny dog for most of it. It's been a... It's hard not to feel some amount of joy when that's going on. And yeah, the week's half over. Football's coming up. We got NFL games tomorrow. It's yeah. Well, a lot uh, of it was a gorgeous uh, day here. Just uh, I, I'm going to push back a little on the NFL games being a good thing thing, but to each their own. I suppose. Who, who's playing tomorrow? Is that Packers and Packers uh, Bears? Bears? Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't know. Watching Aaron Rodgers getting. If you are listening uh, to this, our friend Real Pen Live, uh, we apologize for the hating that I'm about to do. But watching Aaron Rodgers get into a fight with another offensive, with another head coach is going to be a that's going to be a good time. Also going to be a good time uh, this week. Penn State in uh, one of those very weird games that was uh, put together by people with money at a TV network. Is hosting Buffalo under the lights, a 7.30 kick on Fox. Uh, it's going to be coming to you live from Happy Valley in the second of three games to start the season that Penn State will play uh, in lovely Beaver Stadium. Uh, as for the opponent, Buffalo, uh, you might remember them from... They played them, Matt, in 2015 and 2017. Is that correct? That sounds about right. Because yeah, 2015 was like Saquon Barkley's breakout game, if memory serves. And then in 2017, I, yeah, 2015, uh, Penn State hosted them and won 27 to 14. And then 2007, no, it wasn't 2017. It was. It was uh, they won 45 24 in 2007. You, you had three of the yeah, four numbers, right. right? That's right. And oh. then they also played in 1900 in Buffalo, where Ooh, the Bulls nice. actually. Uh, Picked up their lone win in the series 119 I, years ago. I could have sworn. I don't know why that there was a more recent Matt. Oh, you know what? I'm mixing that up just because uh, another game under the lights against a team with a blue a G5 team with the blue and white color scheme. I was mixing them up with Georgia State uh, for when Penn State played them uh, uh, back in 2017. But yes, the 2015 game, uh, which we all very fondly remember. Uh, one for Christian Hackenberg throwing for 128 yards and Penn State needing 14 fourth quarter points to beat Buffalo 27 to 14. But more importantly for uh, Saquon Barkley's breakout game, 12 carries, 115 yards and a score in that one. Uh, a lot has happened uh, for these two programs since that game. Buffalo is going to be coming into this one with a 1-0 record after uh, taking down mighty Robert Morris University last week by a final score of 38 to 10. Uh, Matt, you and I, uh, we're not going to sit here and call ourselves expert on experts on Buffalo football, but uh, they're an interesting team. They're coming off of what was a spectacular season uh, last year when behind a few guys who had NFL prospects, they were able to uh, go 10 and three during the regular season. Either one, uh, they lost in the back title game by one point. Uh, finished the season 10-4, and four, had some really interesting pieces, but the thing that makes this Buffalo team, I don't want to say such a difficult read, but makes them so different from last year's team is that a number of the contributors that we saw, the number of the major contributors that we saw from the 2018 squad uh, are now gone. Yeah, it's... Um, they were, like you said, one point away from winning the MAC. They were up 20 points 
late in the third quarter in that game in uh, lovely Detroit and Ford Field uh, before <laughs> losing the game by by one. Um, but it's it's a really different looking team based on just the personnel package, not let alone you know what we were able to learn or, or not learn from their first game against Robert Morris a week ago. Um, Tyree Jackson, who was their starting quarterback for the last couple of years, really was the the engine of the offense. They went as he went. Um, really athletic kid, um, just as effective running the ball as throwing the ball. He opted to leave early for the NFL um, and unfortunately didn't catch on with the team. They're probably three top receivers from a year ago are gone. Uh, their all-conference center from a year ago is gone. And that's just on the offensive side of the ball. They left, lost uh, a couple um, starting defensive linemen, starting uh, linebacker, and a couple defensive backs, all who were really effective from a team that won 10 games a year ago, 7-1 and one in the MAC, um, and the uh, lost the bowl game to Troy um, in the, the mighty Dollar General Bowl late. But it's really a team that's going to be driven more by the rushing attack this year if the first game's any indication. They uh, had 47 rushes to just 10 passes in that week one game, 285 yards on the ground, just a nice 69 yards through the air for Matt Myers, the uh, first-time starting quarterback. I believe he's a redshirt freshman. Um, so really a different look from probably what you figured going into this game a year ago when the starting quarterback Jackson had the one year of eligibility left and you figured he'd probably be back um, along with all that pass catching talent that is off to either the NFL or uh, a couple of them have transferred to other programs. There's one of the kids is in Iowa. Now one of them ended up in Miami and I can't remember where the third guy I'm thinking of ended up, but um, they've got two really good running backs, uh, Jarrett Patterson and Kevin Marks. Um, they were the, the bulk of the rushing attack last week. They combined for 165 yards on 25 carries and a touchdown. Um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting style matchup, I guess, in one sense. It's going to be a good, good test early for Penn State's front seven. Um, obviously a little bit step up in just the talent level from a week ago against Idaho, they're going to face an offensive line that's a little bit uh, bigger, a little bit stronger, um, has a little bit more defined idea of what they want to do on offense with the rushing attack. So the the big guys up front and the linebackers, I think, are going to get a, a good look at where they are um, as far as run support. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, um, you'll probably want to talk a little bit more of the defense than I would, but they've got, um, they've got some talent there. They've got a couple defensive linemen that are back. Um, a couple linebackers, actually Jarrett Patterson's uh, brother, James, uh, starts at linebacker, really good player. So going to be, going to be interesting to see where things go after looking so good in week one, uh, James Franklin was a little PO'd so to speak tonight after, after the practice, um, number of guys going through extra conditioning. So you wonder if there's a little, little bit, a little bit of complacency after the big win against Idaho or just, you know, a coach trying to keep his team focused, but, um, Try, trying to make a game where the, there's a 30 point point spread interesting is going to be difficult, but I think there are some some things that we can look for from week one to week two um, in some specific matchup sorts of things. Well, the thing with a 30 point point spread uh, when you're on the side of the team that is favored to win by 30 points is that one of two things happen: either one, it's a boring game, or two, it's a horrifying game. It is actually impossible to make that interesting. So uh, I feel like that's important to stress, but. You you mentioned this, and it was something that uh, James Franklin mentioned. He, I actually, uh, I have a bunch of friends who are 
uh, up from Western New York, if you went to UB, uh, and they kind of put me on to the fact that Franklin gave this really lengthy, in-depth answer uh, about Buffalo during his press conference earlier this week, uh, with part of it being they returned 15 starters, six on offense, six on defense, and three specialists. The thing is, like you mentioned, Matt, they had five first-team All-Mac offensive de- c- combined, not five on one, five on the other, five total All-Mac offensive and defensive players last year. All of them are gone. And the second team, uh, they have a big old left tackle whose name I would just absolutely annihilate in Patterson, who are now going to be, who are back but are going to be contributors. And then when you look through Athlon's first season all-conference team, uh, Patterson is the first season all-MAC uh, running back. Uh, they have two offensive linemen who were all first-team all-MAC selections, uh, then a pair of third-teamers, another offensive lineman, another running back, funny enough, so we can probably say with some certainty they're going to try to run the ball a lot, so this will be a good test conceivably for Penn State's defensive line of linebackers. And then on defense, there's some talent. There are two second-team uh, preseason all-max selections and defensive lineman Taylor Riggins and linebacker James Patterson. And then on the defensive line, there's a third-team selection uh, in Malcolm Kuntz and a cornerback in Apari Washington. Apologies for that. The thing that makes this game so interesting to me is something, well, two things really. One, uh, like you and I have both mentioned, Matt, this Buffalo team is going to want to run the football. They're going to want to be physical up front. They're going to want to try and do stuff at the line of scrimmage. Uh, They have a redshirt freshman uh, starting quarterback it's probably safe to say they're not going to turn him too terribly loose. Uh, you know, last week, as you mentioned, he threw five passes. Uh, I have the numbers up here somewhere. Uh, five passes, ten yard, t- five for ten, uh, sixty-nine yards, two touchdowns. So uh, at least he had that going for him. <laughs> both of both of his touchdowns were to the same guy who caught two passes, and I think he might be a tight end, so that's fun. Uh, but the more important thing is what they have up front and what they have in their backfield, uh, both in Patterson and in uh, their other impressive running back, Kevin Marks, are things that Penn State's going to have to look out for because even if, again, this is not going to be by any stretch of the imagination the most impressive team that Penn State plays this year. You have a five foot nine, 190 pound sophomore running back in Patterson who was very productive last year. Marks, a six foot 190 pound uh, redshirt sophomore running back who was also pretty productive last year. There are things that are they're gonna make Penn State think. They're gonna make Penn State, especially with the next two games on the horizon being against teams that like to run the football in Pitt and in Maryland. Uh, and then you know I was going to want to run the ball to some extent because, well, they're Iowa. Having this place to benchmark where the front seven is is inherently a good thing. The other thing, Buffalo has one of the best coaches in college football, uh, Lance Leipold. Uh, It's something that Frank would alluded to, and it's something that has been alluded to a million times uh, over the course of his coaching career, but from 2007 to 2014, he coached at Wisconsin Whitewater. He went 109-6. He went, in 2012, he went 7-3. Every other year, he uh, either A, went 
he went 15 and 0 in one, two, three, four, five years, 14 and one in the other, 13 and two in the other. Every year but that 13 and two year, they won a national championship, and in that 13 and two year, they lost in the championship game. He is a great coach. He is going to have his team prepared to play. And like we saw last year, he knows how to coach up a football team. One thing that we haven't mentioned yet, and I'm kind of stunned that we haven't, and this is more on me than it is on Matt, is that this is not the first time in the last two years that Buffalo has played a Big Ten team. Last year, they went to Rutgers, and they were five-and-a-half-point favorites to beat Rutgers, and they beat Rutgers 42-13. to Again, with Jackson gone, uh, with Anthony Johnson, their really good wide receiver gone, uh, with Khalil Hodge, their freak of nature, uh, outside linebacker, defensive end gone, there's a lot of talent that's not going to be on this team, but it's still a team that is going to be well-coached, is going to have an identity, and is going to try and do stuff that is just going to ask a few questions of Penn State. And Penn State's number sixth in SP+, plus. Uh, Buffalo's 101st. Penn State's probably going to be able to answer them, but still at this point of the year, we are, and Matt, you can correct me if I'm wrong, we're still in that point where, yeah, Penn State winning games by 72 points is obviously fun, but we'd also like to see them get pressed to a level that, get pressed to a level that we're comfortable, even though we know that a 70-point win is on the rise. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, and I think the the biggest thing, um, kind of like it was in in week one is yeah, they're going to be, they're in theory going to be tested a little bit more just by, like I said up front, facing a, a, just a higher level of athlete from top to bottom, a little bit deeper team athletically from top to bottom than Idaho is just by virtue of FBS versus FCS and the scholarship rules and everything that goes along with that. Um, and this is trivial too, but you've got a team that's not traveling across the country, which you know, has to takes a toll on, on, on a team as well. So they're going to face a team that's more capable of, of competing to some degree with a, a program like Penn state than Idaho was. It's just, just the nature of the beast. But I think aside from what we've talked about already with, you know, facing a rushing attack, that's going to be more of a, a problem to deal with or, or face a create a bigger challenge for Penn state to deal with and facing a, defense that has a few more athletes especially up front um and a couple defensive backs that i think are are gonna potentially um cause some problems um early on looking for penn state to continue that execution that they had a week ago against idaho where like we talked about on, on the recap pod on sunday um i guess on mondays when you guys listen to it penn state taking care of their business um, you know, almost competing against yourself in a way to to make sure you're you're making the block you're supposed to. You're not missing an assignment. You know, you're, Sean Clifford's making the right read with the ball, whether he's keeping it or throwing it. Um, you know, keeping it on on the option or giving it off to one of the running backs. Um, you know, right, wide receivers continuing to to be effective catching the ball. All those sorts of things that with a little a little I'm emphasizing little step up in competition continue to execute at that same level that you were a week ago when there really wasn't a whole lot of pressure on you from a, an, an opposition standpoint. So, um, it's, it's still learning time for Penn state, you know, yeah, as much fun as it was to score 79 points a week ago and really everything after the first couple of series was, was great. There, it's not going to be like that through the next four games leading into, into the, when the schedule ramps up, 
Um, it's not going to be at the, be like that within games, um, you know, and over these next few where the, the competition is, is a step below the, the top level of the big 10 and the rest of the schedule. So, um, not to disparage Buffalo at all. I'm sure Lance Leopold has his team listening to the Roar Lines radio podcast to, to get hyped up. But this is another one of those games where it's going to be way more about how Penn State executes and how they do what they want to do than it is going to be what Buffalo is able to do. Do If Penn State does what they're supposed to do, the, that 30-point spread isn't going to be a big deal. This is going to be one of those boring games for a Penn State fan. It's not one of those oh-crap games for a Penn State fan. Yeah, this ain't going to be another Appalachian. I, I hope, hope not, I don't have any wood near me, but pretend I'm knocking on some wood. Hopefully not another Appalachian State this year. Uh, so what I want to... Kind of going off of that, Matt, and it's something that you alluded to a second ago, when you're going into your second game like this and you've kind of put down a bit of a baseline, and like you mentioned, the opponent is going to be better compared to what it was a week ago, I think that we can both say we might want to see, you know, we didn't want to see too terribly much against Idaho. We wanted to see a comfortable win. We wanted to see some guys get incorporated into things, but it wasn't like we were pining for uh, anything really specific. So when you're heading into this kind of game against Buffalo, again, step up in competition, it's going to be under the lights, it's going to be on national television. That baseline was set a week ago. What kind of things do you want to see out of Penn State this week that we might not have seen against Idaho? Um, I'll give you a couple of things that we probably have seen and probably a couple that we didn't really see. Um, the first is I want to see Sean Clifford in the running game. Um, I thought he, that was probably the biggest quote unquote surprise for me from the offense is how comfortable he looked, especially after he settled in making the right read, keeping the ball running with it, whether it be on a design run, um, keeping it on the option or scrambling. There were, there was a, a few examples of each of those. Um, he looked really comfortable doing that. I want to see how that progresses in week two against a more athletic front seven, especially um, that in theory should be a little bit more prepared, especially now that they've seen some stuff on tape as well, should be a little bit more prepared and, and physically capable of, of dealing with that kind of look. Um, I want to see Sean Clifford more ready to, to go. And that seems like a, that's probably not the right way to phrase it, but locked in more from the start. You know, we talked about it, a little quite a bit last week or earlier this week uh, it took him a couple series to kind of get his feet under him and and be comfortable with the right reads and putting the ball where it needs to um as the season progresses and the t- and the competition gets tougher you can't afford to to start slowly you know some of those missed passes end up going the other way some you know you you don't necessarily be are necessarily gifted great field position like they were in the first game so just kind of an evolution from Sean Clifford in general both as a a runner specifically, because I think that's such an important part about what Penn State wants to do offensively. And Sean Clifford as, you know, being the guy from from the first snap to whenever his last snap of the game is, hopefully, you know, early on in the second half like it was in week one. Um, I'm really interested to see what the running back rotation evolves to be. Um, that's probably one of the things from the first game that you can almost just throw out because it was, you know, got so out of hand so quickly and they knew it was going to be that way that they kind of just threw all four of those guys out there. I think all four of them, you know, Slade, Brown, Ford and Kane all got 
significant carries, so to speak, early I, on in that game. If I may, I have snap counts up in front of me right now. Uh, well, I, I'm talking about just more, you know, how quickly they got all four of them involved. Oh, um, for sure. Uh, but Devin Ford and Noah Kane were first and second in snaps. I think you exactly. have to probably agree that won't be the case. That no, and I, but I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, do we continue to see, you know, certainly Slade and Brown early on, or does the Slade get more of a chance to settle in? Um, you know, the evolution of those guys catching the football out of the backfield, I thought that was a real interesting development in week one. Um, I think it was, uh, I'm not sure where it was listed in, on the site this week, but there were, I think, 30 passes caught by running backs a year ago, and um, Penn State's on pace for 72 um, over doubling that based on the first game, that's probably not going to continue, but certainly a new wrinkle. Um, be interested to see how KJ Hamler, um, what his role evolves to be. So on the offensive side, I guess it's really just, you know, how things progress from week one to week two, how, how the playbook expands and evolves and, and responds to a, a different look from a defense. Um, and that sort of thing on the other side of the ball. Um, this is, I guess kind of a cop out, but just more of what they did against Idaho. That was such, such a dominant performance, um, you know, really until the second half. And there was a bunch of, you know, third and fourth stringers and walk-ons getting, getting opportunities. Um, two guys in particular that I'm really interested to see, especially, um, especially Damian Barber, who we found out on Tuesday was suspended for the game due to a team rules violation. Um, he's a guy that got a lot of hype during fall camp and is listed as second team in the depth chart. I'm really interested to see what he looks like now in his third year in the program. Um, first year, he's going to be relied upon to be a little bit more of a, a regular contributor. Um, and then Donovan Johnson, who missed the game for a team rules violation. We knew about that one going in. Um, I thought he was really good a year ago um, in his first time as a, a redshirt freshman. Um, so not only seeing how he plays, but how the defensive backfield moves around with him available now in the nickel looks and dime looks and, you know, what the different combinations are, where different guys line up um, as things, you know, get into the game and they have that full complement of defensive backs. So the big thing that I want to see, and it kind of goes on both of what, both of the things that you said, uh, and you could probably guess what this is based on the fact that I have staff counsel up in front of me, is that I just want to see Penn State tighten up its rotations a fair amount. I want to see uh, what exactly does the running back uh, you know, I, with even if Penn State goes up by a lot, I want to see Ricky Slade not get the fewest carries of Penn State's four major running backs. I want to see uh, Sean Clifford take more. I want to see him taking, there were 82 plays on offense. He took 45 snaps. I'd like to see that closer to 50 or 60. I want to see more out of Justin Shorter. He had played 24 snaps. He was... Uh, he, he's someone who's going to have to be a big contributor for this team. And I am a little bit, con- well, I don't want to say concerned, but he played a decent amount of football last year and it wasn't particularly productive football. So I want him getting as much run as he possibly can. Cause I think it's more important to get the ones that playing time than it is to really do heavy rotating the offensive line with how frequently backups were able to get, in and see a little bit of time. Like, Des Holmes took more snaps at left tackle than Rasheed Walker did. I know that Walker got kicked over to right tackle, but I'd still like to see that first-team offensive line for a good portion. And then on defense, they did a decent amount of rotating there. Uh, 
Brandon Smith got more snaps than Micah Parsons. Uh, Cam Brown, of course, got three snaps. That's something that I would bet my bottom dollar is going to change. Shane Simmons got more snaps at defensive end than Yitor Gross-Matos. Like, for how much I do appreciate, and I am glad that those second and third team guys got to see a little bit more game action, I'd also like to see those ones get a little bit more of a chance to grow and uh, get on the same page heading into ne- next week against Pitt where the schedule really does start to ramp up. And then the other thing, I just want to see more Sean Clifford. I want to see as much of him as possible. Whether it is, like you said, running the ball or throwing the ball and building up that rapport with K.J. Hamler, Pat Fryer, Muther, Justin Shorter, Jahan Dotson, or any of the running back options that he has, we saw, and this is something that we talked about a decent amount last week, we saw that it took Trace McSorley a few games when he took over as Penn State's quarterback in 2016 to really get a sense of how he needs to orchestrate the offense. And for that reason, I think there is a lot of value in Clifford getting as many snaps as possible, even if I do agree with uh, what James Franklin has said, which is it's good for the backup, uh, in this case, Will Levis, to have a sense of what he's going to be walking into in the event that he's going to need to take some snaps. So those are really the two things that stick out the most for me. Uh And then, of course, as much Jordan Stout as we can possibly get, because if he's kicking a lot of PATs, it means Penn State is scoring a lot of points, and that is something that would make me very happy. Uh, I don't really have too terribly much else to add about this game, Matt. Is there anything uh, in your eyes that really jumps off the page that you'd want to spend a second on? Not really. I think, to your point, though, I think that uh, the the way the the schedule set up really allowed that first game to be that almost like an NFL preseason game where you can throw a bunch of guys out there, give a bunch of the freshmen their first chance, um, almost t- treated as, you know, Hey, the stars are going to get a couple series and then we're going to kind of mix and match and, and play around with things a little bit. And, and it led to you being, you being the coaching staff, being able to throw a bunch of those guys out there to, to get a taste of, of college football and, and play, play more of the game. I, I don't want to guarantee anything, but I really expect to see more of a typical breakdown in snaps, especially you know over the first three quarters. Um, you know, just again trying to to expand upon what what they're doing offensively and defensively over the first few games. Excuse me, giving them a chance to kind of just you know throw a little bit more at them and, and see what happens and continue to, to build up that that rapport um, all over the field. Yeah. And if anyone complains uh, about in the event that happens and Franklin decides to keep the ones in through three quarters or something like that, so they can get that work and grow together. uh, If you were then going to complain about Penn state running up the score, please, 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 please know that I hate you. Uh, Matt going into this one uh, Penn State, a 30-point favorite. Vegas is the over-under at 56, which, if my math is correct, uh, means that it's expecting this game will end at about 43-13. to 13. Uh, Do you see uh, one Penn State uh, covering that spread, and what do you think about that 56 number? Um, 
I actually hadn't given it a whole lot of thought. Um, I think they can cover. Um, I, I don't want to put too much stock into what we saw a week ago, but this offense has so much potential to be explosive. And I think I really expect an impressive performance from the defense against a, a run first uh, offense. They're going to, you know, create short fields, give Sean Clifford and, and the offense plenty of opportunities to score. So I, I think that that 30 point number um, from a, a point spread perspective is very attainable and sure, why not? You know, getting the over on that. I think um, you know Penn State has shown that they're going to continue to, um, you know, score points and 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 keep the the pedal pushed down to some degree. Um, so I I think we we do get another cover and another over in this one. I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I I think that Penn State. I I think it almost has a weird sense of joy in when it's able to put in its twos and its threes and still put up points there. The one thing that concerns me on both of those numbers is like you said, with Buffalo being a very run heavy team, uh, there's part of me that wonders what happens if they're just able to milk the clock down and, you know, keep, even if Penn, even with Penn state's defensive line and it's linebacking core, if Buffalo is able to have a few nice five, six, seven minute drives that just bleed that clock down, but having said that, 30-point spread, 56 over-under. I mean, we know James Franklin well enough to know that, again, in these non-conference games, he has no issue with putting his offense out there and having them just go off. Last year, I mean, last week, 79 points against Idaho. Uh, against Kent State last year, 63 points. Against uh, Akron in 2017, 52 points. Georgia's... State, 56 points. 2016, uh, they didn't, oh yeah, I forgot, 2016, they didn't really turn on to the end of the year, but we know this is kind of James Franklin's MO. He uses these games as an opportunity to build up confidence in his team and get some style points while doing it. So I think that 30-point spread and that that 56, I wouldn't be surprised if it hits, if God, I hate saying this. I hate being the guy who sounds like really arrogant about this. I would not be surprised if Penn State hits that 56 on their own. But, you know, who, who knows? Again, Buffalo is going to be a really good team, really well-coached team. They're going to run the football a whole hell of a lot. We'll see what ends up happening. Uh, is there any final thing that you'd like to add about this game, Matt, before we do a real quick uh, skim through the Big Ten? Um, I think we've we've covered this from about every p- possible angle as Penn State fans talking about uh, the Buffalo Bulls. All right, so this week what I think we're going to do is we're just going to immediately nix off the games that we don't care about. Uh, Minnesota Fresno State. I'm assuming you and I don't care about that. Um, no. Western Michigan Michigan State. I mean that'll be interesting if only because we want to see what Michigan State's offense looks like but I think for the most part uh, outside of your connections to uh, that area this game isn't exactly going to be appealing um, it will be on the second TV during the Penn State games I believe that is a seven o'clock kickoff on, kickoff. on BTN yep. on BTN so, so I, w- I will be in a room where it is on watching it with uh, my girlfriend who will be much more interested in the game than I am we're going to play the ticket price game real quick. Uh, this is a really sad one. Uh, BTN 330 kick, Eastern Illinois at Indiana. Oh, 
Oh no! No, nothing. Nothing about that sounds good. Um, I'll, I'll just come out and say that immediately. But Matt, what is the lowest price that you can get for that one? Um, that can't be more than like three dollars. It is six dollars. You're overpaying. That yeah, you should not pay. You if if you are in Bloomington and you and you're not like a dad who wants to take their kids to their first ever IU football game and have it be a relatively r- low risk environment. You should like go to one of the many fine bars that exist in Bloomington, Indiana, and instead use your six dollars buying one beer there. Uh, let's see. Duh, 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 duh. I mean, I don't particularly care about Central Michigan against Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin had uh, they're up to number five in SP plus one spot above Penn State. They were really good last week. Uh, I think you and I could probably both agree that Wisconsin is just going to drag Central Michigan in this one. I am only curious to see if Wisconsin gives up their first points of the season. I also want to, you know, I'm perpetually fascinated in whether or not Wisconsin decides to just have Jonathan Taylor rewrite the NCAA's like yardage record book. So that'll be a fun one to watch for that. Uh, Vandy Purdue. Um, Purdue is going to try and score a lot of points and Vandy will try and not let them. Um, that. That this game, Matt, either seems like it's going to be a lot of fun or it's going to be just absolutely hideous. I well, Rondell Moore is involved, so it will certainly be fun to some degree. But this Purdue needs this one badly after that Nevada game and how they they blew that one. I actually forgot about that Nevada game. So no, uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, because I stopped watching. <laughs> so, so has most of West Lafayette, I'm sure. I, you know, I'll actually pick the brain of someone if whether or not they're the kind of fan base that like just lets that stuff leave their brain immediately or if they're going to remember that game for the rest of their lives. So I will report back on that. Um, Syracuse at Maryland actually has the potential to be a decent amount of fun. Syracuse, uh, number 21 in the AP poll, they have a really good team here in lovely Syracuse, New York, uh, led by... Head coach Dino Babers, they have an interesting young running uh, quarterback in Tommy DeVito. Uh, but Maryland, of course, last there's a lot of um, energy being exuded out of uh, College Park right now after hammering Howard 79 to nothing last week. Again, uh, Josh Jackson, talented quarterback, going to be interesting to see what he's able to do, especially uh, now that... They, they kind of wrapped Anthony McFarland in bubble wrap last week, and he should be taken out of that. But uh, is there anything really fascinating to you about this game, Matt? It's like low-key interesting, and I'm, I'm mildly biased. I have an older brother who went to Syracuse. Um, Maryland is actually favored in this game, which blew my mind. Re- whoa, um, whoa, 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 whoa. What's, the, what's the line on this one? Uh, Maryland minus two. Ooh. Oh, that's tempting. I'm I'm really curious because I think Syracuse has obviously been getting a lot of hype. I don't think most of us really expected much from Maryland this year. Um, this would be a low-key good win for them if they can pull it off at home. Um, I don't frankly see it. I don't have a whole lot of faith in them despite putting almost 80 points up on you know, Penn State played a, a an okay FCS team. Maryland played a bad FCS team. So I you almost just throw that one out, but I'm I'm fascinated just to see kind of how how they look against actual competition. 
Yeah, I'm looking right now. They're actually, Syracuse is number 40, and Maryland is number 41 in SP+. Uh, ESPN's FPI has Maryland as a 66.8% favorite to win this game. That, that's fascinating. Like, if not for the fact that upstate New York has those weird gambling rules where you can't wager on a college team that is from the state, I would absolutely go and toss down a couple of bucks on Syracuse plus two. That seems like a that they that seems like one where they might be able to get the job done on the field. Uh, and then in the last game that probably does not interest you or me, uh, I speaking of teams probably not getting the job in the field, Rutgers has to go to Kinnick. Um, uh, how how much money uh, do you have to put on this game? Because I would recommend putting a lot of it on uh, on the Hawks to 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 valiantly defend their home field, Matt. I don't have no idea what the spread in this game is, but it's this is going to be bad football. Just you know, Iowa is they've they've got talent in certain spots, and they're at home, and and they're going to do Iowa things. But this is going to be like a two and a half hour game. And it's going to be like Iowa 27, Rutgers 3 or something crazy like that. And we will all be better people for having not have watched it. Uh, Westgate has Iowa as a 20-point favorite. Uh, ESPN's FBI has uh, Iowa's a 90.5% chance of winning this game. But despite Iowa being a 20-point favorite, the over-under is 49.5, which... Uh, I'm trying to do, I believe the math says that means they believe it'll end it around. Ah, crap. I can't do this just off the top of my head. Is that like 35 to 15 or something like that? No, that, yeah, it's something like that. That's gross. You should, um, you should bet on Iowa to do more than 20, even if your principles say that's a little bit too tasty. Interesting games. Uh, the least interesting of the three interesting games, Nebraska has to go to Colorado. Uh, Matt, so much of the hype around Nebraska stems from the fact that people think their schedule isn't too terribly tough, mostly because uh, they had South Alabama and Northern Iowa in the non-con, and then their three big Big Ten games, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa, uh, we're all at home. The thing is, this Colorado game team is pretty solid. They have a good quarterback in Steven Montez. They have an absolute nuke of a wide receiver in LaVisca Chenault Jr. It seems like it could, if the Nebraska team that showed up last week shows up for this one, it's going to, has the potential to get real, real dicey for them. Yeah, and it's, Colorado got them last year in Lincoln, and I realized that's a year ago, and I think that might have been the game where Martinez got hurt that really lingered for, for a big chunk of the year. Um, I watched a fair amount of that Nebraska game. We talked about this on, on the recap pod over the weekend. I just didn't see it at all from them. Um, just, I think Bill C has them at like 40th or 41st or something, and an S and P plus or SP plus. Sorry, I don't want to get sued. Um, I don't know. This is on the road in Colorado. I have memories of this as an old old Big Twelve matchup. You know, it was always the I think the Friday right after Thanksgiving. Um, these two teams when they both you know 
back in Nebraska's heyday and when Colorado was still still a thing. Um, you're playing some great games, so I have you know memories of that that aren't helping my perception of of what exactly Nebraska's walking into. But if they want to have any visions of being the team that a lot of prognosticators seem to think they are, um, this is a game where you come out and you kind of make a statement on the road. Um, Colorado, like you said, Colorado has some sneaky talent. They've, um, I don't know. This is one I'm going to be curious to watch. I don't even know what time it is. So I say that hoping it's not right up against Penn State or anything like that. But 3.30 kick on uh, on Fox. So this is actually the game leading into the Penn State game. This is perfect. So I'm, I don't know. This is, I'm not going to make a pick. Um, I, you know, back to my the wall, I probably say Nebraska is because top to bottom they are more talented. And I, you know, I'm going to assume they're better coached. I re- obviously really like Scott Frost. But this is one where I'm not throwing any money down on it. I'm not making any you know huge overarching predictions. But I, if I was a Nebraska fan, I would uh, be very nervous heading into this one. Just it it doesn't feel great after what you saw in week one. Uh, yeah, I I actually forgot Nebraska, not Nebraska. Uh, Colorado hired Mel Tucker, the defensive coordinator from Georgia, to be their new head coach. Last year's game, uh, Colorado. Uh, Again, this was kind of LaVisca Chenault's gigantic coming out party. Ten receptions, 177 yards. Uh, He's back, and I have no idea how Nebraska plans on slowing him down. Uh, You mentioned SP Plus rankings. Nebraska is 54. Colorado is 55. Uh, Colorado, the number three offense and the number 123 defense. So uh, this game has the potential to get really funny if that Scott Frost week happens. But, yeah, I'm not buying it. Nebraska's going to lose. They're going to lose – I don't want to say comfortably, but they're going to lose by a margin that is probably a tiny bit bigger than people expect. Uh, they're the, they are four-point favorites in this one. I don't particularly like that. Moving on to the two games that you and I do care about. First up, noon kick, ABC, Ohio Stadium, Cincinnati traveling up to Columbus uh, for the uh, college football version of the Hell is Real rivalry, taking on the Ohio State University. Matt, this game is legitimately interesting because Ohio State's probably going to win it, but they're going to have to earn every single thing that they get in this football game. Would you say that's fair? Oh, yeah. It's, I, was, I was actually thinking about this earlier as I was driving around uh, in between some meetings this afternoon, and my mind wanders as it is known to do. And Ohio State's going to win this by like 30 or by like six, I feel like there's not going to be a whole lot of in between. They're going to either come out and just assert their will, or Cincinnati and Luke Fickle are just going to hang around all day and make this really interesting for for Ryan Day. And I don't want to say his first test, but um, this you know two touchdown favorite at home in state rivalry, a guy that used to you know it just bleeds scarlet and gray. You know, grew up in Columbus, coached there, played there. Um, was the interim coach there for a season? And um, there's just Cincinnati. They're a, they're they're not you know a national title. They're they're a good football team. They're number thirty six in SP plus. They have a very good defense. And like you said, a head coach who is going to want, be a little bit extra motivated to win this game. Yeah, I think the the one other thing on top of that is you've got 
I saw the number, and I don't know if my memory is right, but it was something like 70 kids on Cincinnati's roster are from Ohio. And you've got some that were probably kind of recruited by Ohio State, but the vast majority would have loved to have had Urban Meyer or one of the assistants stop by and offer a scholarship or even just put in an appearance, you know, say, hey, we're keeping our eye on you. And for most of those kids, that never happened. So there's a massive chip on their collective shoulder, too. Um, this isn't, you know, Ohio University or Bowling Green or Akron coming into Ohio Stadium. This is a, a decent you know, group of five teams, sure, but they're they're a step up talent level from from those the MAC programs around Ohio. So this is this can get really interesting really quickly for Ohio State. I think if they don't come out firing, you know, at at full, close to full strength right away. Yeah, I mean, there are seven kids just from Columbus proper who are on the Cincinnati team. Like you mentioned, these are kids that. Do you remember, I can't remember which player exactly it was, but there was that one kid on uh, Purdue last year. He was a linebacker who, a big story going into this game was he was from Columbus, but Ohio State never recruited him, and he just played a little bit harder because of that in that win. Again, I think Ohio State's going to win this game. I would not be surprised if the Ohio State that we saw in the first quarter last week that really put its foot on Florida Atlantic's throat shows up for longer than one quarter and they really try and make a statement here. But again, Cincinnati's going to try and push them and Cincinnati is a good enough team that it's going to give them just enough that they're not going to be able to completely coast through this game. Again, they're going to win. Would not be surprised if they win comfortably, but definitely keep an eye on this one because no matter what, it's going to be interesting. The game that is uh, far funnier in my mind and Probably far funnier in Matt's mind, too. Uh, Michigan, at the same time, uh, for whatever reason, they decided it was a good idea to schedule Army. Uh, noon kick, Fox from Michigan Stadium. Again, Matt, you agree with me. Michigan is probably going to win this football game. They're a 22-point favorite. Uh, FPI has them at a 96.2% chance to win this one. But why on earth would any team schedule Army in the first in the first two weeks of the season, especially when you were breaking in so many new guys on defense? Why anyone that doesn't have to play Army plays Army or Navy or Air Force? You know the the true triple option wishbone flexbone teams is is beyond me. Um, I actually, and this is probably just the natural contrarian in me. This has been the game that a lot of people have talked about all summer as. Michigan needs to be really careful because Army was really good last year. And, oh, Michigan, you know, at home, you know, you know the, all the new faces, the new offensive system, um, replacing so many guys on defense, all that stuff. Um, I don't see it. I think Army was not terribly impressive in their first week. Um, I don't remember who they played, but it was, I think it was Rice um, at home, looked not good. The, the biggest thing that, could work against Michigan in this one is what usually works against the the power teams when they play an army is if they can't get off the field on third and fourth down against army. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is we talked about this uh, just a couple days ago, Michigan's offense, well, flashing the big play potential. If they are a little off and they're, you know, not, not controlling the ball, not staying on the field, then that's the way this one gets really interesting for Michigan. 
I just I have a really hard time. Michigan's going to have John running back. They're going to have Donovan Peoples Jones back. Um, there was a third guy I think who missed last week's game that they're probably going to have was back it, this week too. Was it Tarek Black? Uh, the Black he he left the field briefly, okay. but uh, he he came back and played I think after that. So, but Michigan can't be the offense we saw a week ago um, for too terribly long against Army unless their defense is is dominant like. Like they have the potential to be, I think, but um, I just I have a real hard time because of all the talk this has been getting as a potential trap game. You know, watch out, Michigan. I have a real hard time seeing them overlooking them. So the the the, the way this is close is like I said, if, if Michigan can't execute an offense, and Army can just bleed the clock for for minutes and minutes and and keep Michigan off the field and keep this close where you know a player or two can can swing it. But I kind of like you feel about the Ohio State Cincinnati game is I guess kind of how I feel about this one. See, here's the thing. Um, you're right. Don't get me wrong. But it would be really funny if Michigan lost this game. So I'm going to be rooting for that to happen. Uh, but yeah, I mean Michigan is a. They're a better football team than I will ever give them credit for because why would I ever want to give Michigan any sort of credit? And they're going to probably end up winning this game. And Army, I would not be surprised if Army like gives them a little something to think about early on. But once Don Brown figures out what he needs to do to slow them down, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, again, having said that, though, they should lose this game. That would be really cool. Uh I would laugh. Yes, I would too. Quite heartily, I might add. That makes two of us. Uh, Around college football, uh, Texas A&M at Clemson. Uh, If this game wasn't at Clemson, I would very strongly consider taking Texas A&M on the field because I just like Kellen Mond a lot. Uh, And then, I don't know about you, Matt, but it would be really cool if LSU walked into Austin and just turbo-nuked Texas. Do you agree with me? Oh, I am so excited for this game. They have been... I, I hope you saw the shirts that Texas wore, their uh, defensive backs wore in warm-ups during their first game. Uh, something to the effect of the real DBU. Uh, as in, <laughs> just, this is, I don't know. I, I I don't think either one of these teams is as good as the, the hype they're getting. Oh, Ward, no. But, but I think LSU is closer to the hype they're getting. Um, and, and I would love nothing more. I love love Ed or- Orgeron. I was in Baton Rouge a couple of years ago for the, the LSU-Syracuse game. And those are lovely, lovely people. Um, and I've never met a Texas fan that I like. So <laughs> I I would love nothing more than to watch them go in there and just absolutely pick apart Tom Herman's team. Yeah, and then the last game that I'm going to watch is BYU at Tennessee. And that's mostly because I... It dawned on me today that if things go really bad at Tennessee, Philip Fulmer, like, I forgot that he had that power play to make himself their athletic director, and he will absolutely fire Jeremy Pruitt so he can be their head coach. Like, Tennessee is a stretch of at Florida, Georgia, Mississippi State, at Alabama, and if they don't beat BYU, there's a good chance that after they lose all four of those games, they are one and six. And they will absolutely, even if the buyout's just ridiculous, they're going to fire Pruitt and Fulmer is going to insert himself as the head coach. And that would be really good. Um, one, one thing to add on that, and, and Bill, you know that I have a, a colleague in my, my non-blog professional life who is a huge Tennessee fan, still has his season tickets at Neyland Stadium. I don't know the last time he went to a game because he is that Tennessee fan that is just borderline like clinical depression with with volunteer football probably rightfully so they have just been 
at me- mediocre at best, and that's a stretch in the last what ten years. And I I I did a, a welfare check on him at late in the Georgia State game last week, and have still yet to hear back from him regarding that game. I've heard from Jesus. him about about other items, but he has not mentioned the football game, and I have not brought it up because. I, I like Chris too much to do that to him. <laughs> uh, and we like all of you, so we're going to end this stupid podcast. Thank you uh, very much for listening to this edition. Uh, always appreciate you guys taking a little bit of time to hear us vomit out very bad takes about Penn State and other college football things. Uh, please keep reading the site. Please keep supporting the site. Keep giving us uh, various follows on our social media channels. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts. Those, it turns out those things help. So if you would like to, please help us out. We really appreciate that. And unless you aren't going to give us a five-star review, then I don't want to hear from you. And of course, buy some shirts. Uh, we... Matt can speak to this a little bit better than I am, can because everything is stored in his basement, but it seems like the uh, our state hoodies are finally starting to get to people, Matt, and it's like the most beloved thing that we have ever made. Yes, they, they shipped. Uh, the first shipment uh, went out to customers about a week ago, so I think everyone should have them by now. There are There is inventory of every size sitting about 10 feet from where I am at this moment as we record this. And I would love nothing more than to to pack one up and send it to you. So head over to store.roarlionsroar.com and uh, check out everything we've got there. Everything listed there is in stock and can ship uh, relatively quickly. I have to do it myself, so it, it might take a little bit of time from when you actually order. But rest assured, it will get to you. Um, yeah, and, and uh, check us out on social media after the game on Saturday, maybe even Sunday since we've got a late game. Um, we're going to try and run some flash sales throughout the season um, on the weekend after games. We know we've got a lot of people checking out the site, so trying to help you guys out and save a couple bucks on the stuff. For sure. Do Matt a solid and help him clear out inventory from his basement and do all of us a solid and keep uh, keep uh, supporting us and doing everything that you do to uh, help keep the site running. Uh, for my co-host, Matt DeBear, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thank you again for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio, and take care, everyone.